Rangers and residents of Ocean Bluff, California, welcome to the Sentai Truther Club. I am your host, Grav, and with me is my lovely co-host, Kennedy. Hey, everybody. And today, Kennedy's got a guest for us. We have a special guest here. It's the one, only, Star Trek communist, Will. Thank you for joining us. It's the crossover that no one thought they knew they needed in their lives. And here I am, right? <laughs> so I am, a, I am very excited to be on here. It's definitely out of my wheelhouse. I was recommended by Luxury Gay Space Communism. They do great work and more than happy to talk about other fandoms and see if I can sneak in some Marxism. <laughs> oh, you can always sneak in some Marxism on this show. Um, also, you know, I have to say, I think this is going to be a great collaboration. Our fans have enjoyed our overlapping with gay space um, in various ways and uh, just, you know, talking about the ways in which Star Trek is kind of a tokusatsu, talking about the way in which uh, Power Rangers is kind of a Star Trek sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it has color coordination and top-down organization, right? Here we go. <laughs> they do. Uh, there's more to be said on that. I don't want to derail because that's a whole other topic. But yes, there are similarities <laughs> too. One aside is actually, I think the last Power Rangers I ever saw, and actually remember enjoying a lot, was Power Rangers in space for obvious reasons, right? It had such great parallels to a Starfleet. And like, I remember like being kind of blown away, like, oh, this is a pretty good storyline. Like, I think that was like the last time I was maybe like, you know, 14 or something that I remember kind of sort of following still. And then I have, I have no idea what happened to, to the universe after that. I mean, that's why I'm on this show, because you guys are the experts. So you tell me. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically, uh, we're now towards almost the end of the Disney era. So. Uh, after Wild Force, or at least during the filming of Wild Force, Disney bought out the rights for Power Rangers. So Wild Force was the last uh, season uh, for the show uh, under Saban, originally. And so uh, Wild Force sucked. Uh, it did have one really good crossover episode in there, uh, Forever Red. So that's the one that everybody seems to talk about a lot, where they go, like, whenever somebody points to, like, the best episode, I just saw it at GameStop, by the way. They're like, uh, one of the, did you know, one of the greatest <laughs> moments of Power Rangers is when they got all the Red Rangers from the 10 seasons of Power Rangers at the time for one episode. And you probably didn't know about this episode because Wild Force is so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I mean, like you had moments like that and then uh, Disney bought it out. You had Power Rangers Ninja Storm, which is like Power Rangers, but like vibes, dude. That uh, Ninja Storm <laughs> is amazing. One of my favorites. Yeah, in retrospect, Ninja Storm is really great, especially like the fact I just don't understand like the season right after that one was a head scratcher. Dino Thunder was bad. Yeah, and just in general, we're in this era and Jungle Fury isn't entirely an exception where Disney just kicks off each season with a very bizarre explanation for things. Yeah, like, uh, you know, Dino Thunder was this weird, like, what if the Power Rangers were high schoolers again, but they were, like, around Gossip Girl era? So it was, like, proto-CW type shit mixed with, like, Toku. So it was really weird. Uh, <laughs> and then you had SPD, which is the cop season. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really love cheering on with my Power Rangers were acting as uh, ice. 
Uh, that was fun. Um, <laughs> amazing. And then we had a season uh, where they were Harry Potter wizards. That was amazing. Actually, that had to cool. really, you know, in retrospect, better than really, Harry Potter. Yes, actually, <laughs> I, would, I would sooner show my son. In fact, you know, my son, that's my son's favorite season now, which is insane to think about. He watched yeah, Lightspeed Rescue, fun. all this other stuff, and he's like, he's watching Dino Fury right now. So he's, I'm like, don't spoil it for me. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's watching all that stuff, and he's like, Mystic Force was like the best one. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> It is it, it is pretty poggy on the onset, right? You're like Power Rangers, yeah. magical spells, uh, pog, um, and then you got Operation Overdrive, which is just it's it's filler. It's filler. It's all filler. It's not a it season. Cool. It doesn't exist. Yeah, and now we're at Jungle Fury. So so like at and this is in 2008. Anything, and this is 2008. We reached Jungle Fury. Yeah, 2008. Obama. And you just listed all those other shows before that? Oh, man. How many Power Rangers shows are there? Jeez. There's so now we're, many. we're on, like, the 16th season now. Yeah. yeah. So this is the man. 16th season of the Power Rangers, Jungle Fury. Yeah. Um, and, I uh, am glad that you enjoy In Space. I just want to say real quick before we get into talking about Jungle Fury, it's an amazing season. And also, I personally feel that it is, like, as good as, like, a sillier season of star trek in some ways you know like it's like almost as good as some of the original series or something to me for sure or even better at times yeah oh I yeah think what really sells in space is when you know the like even if you knew like the turbo cast a bit too and like bringing that upon i think that that really made the season really good and all the connections to the previous seasons too right mm -hmm. like the adam park episode was really good and in space where he came back as the black ranger but then also uh, just so much great emotional storytelling within the season, too. They really weren't afraid to have the characters have a lot of depth that season. The first time we had a Jesus-like crucifixion <laughs> in the show. <laughs> See, now I forgot everything about that show. I just so like all this stuff is still new. Everything old is new again. Uh, all I remember from that show is uh, there was a, a, a Ninja Turtles crossover, right? Right. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Uh, and I remember distinctly, like, oh my god, like this is actually happening because I remember watching that show too very briefly, and that was actually not bad too. Anyways, we're going off. At the That's table. an iconic <laughs> episode as well, too. Literally, that was the other. They were like, "Remember Forever Red? Well, if you don't think Forever Red was Pog, what about the episode where they crossed over with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?" Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I know. and i'm like this is so like funny. the best episodes for normies which i guess that's the appeal right yeah. every it's yeah. everybody going back and getting back into power rangers it's good stuff <laughs> all right power rangers jungle fury so starts off weird as heck <laughs> it, it feels a little like ninja storm again but then also like something else entirely it feels like a Mortal Kombat knockoff. It does feel a little bit like Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that's a great... Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, if you guys remember, like in the late 90s, there was like a Mortal Kombat live-action TV show. Like, like, But it would, it would show... Like, like it would air on like very weird hours, like a Saturday afternoon. I think it was like around the time where like, like Xena and Hercules were around, like those TV shows. But like I remember, oh, I remember there was like that. a... There was like a Mortal Kombat dark times. Show. Yeah, and I remember like this has like the same type of vibe to it, and, and but it's like a like a knockoff version of it. 
right? Like like a, yeah. like a more kid friendly version of it. Uh, straight off the grip, right. I can tell you right now that the quality is so much like you can just immediately tell that whatever writing bullshit happened during Operation Overdrive did not happen here. Like just a huge quality jump from watching just like the end of Operation Overdrive to pulling this up and going like, wait, actually Power Rangers can be interesting. What? <laughs> it was a good reminder that, hey, the show that we watch isn't bad all the time. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. So we kick things off at the Pai Zuck Academy, which is this secret martial arts school. We've had a few of these now, like maybe like four or five over the course of the Power Rangers. So, you know, when you kick it off with a, a secret martial arts academy, it's like you already know what's up. We're like Ninja Storm? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there's these six teenagers. Well, they're all supposed to be teenagers. One of them looks like 35. But um, <laughs> they're all sitting in this courtyard meditating. A couple of them are talking to each other. They are, if you paid attention to the intro to the show, they're obviously going to become Power Rangers. But even if you didn't, they seem to be clearly like protagonisty. Although also the dialogue is very weird between them. There's a lot of weird dialogue choices just in general throughout this intro at various times. Uh, Lily and Theo are among these finalists that are going to be chosen to do something special. We don't know exactly what yet. The uh, Grand Master of the Temple comes out and is like, okay, you gotta fight each other. There's there could be only three. <laughs> <laughs> it was very random. It was just, it, it, it felt just like they had to, like, condense, like, an, an entire episode, maybe even more, like, literally into the first few minutes, too, right? Like, they just had to get to, like, that, like, fight scene, what have you. And yeah, this of... was originally like a three-part intro, maybe. I will say, <laughs> I, I appreciated it because it was far more interesting this time around. I was really in it. <laughs> hey, they jump into the action right away. And there's yeah. always something to be said for that. The fight scenes are pretty interesting overall. There's a little bit of cheesiness to it, but it's still fine. And, you know, our obvious heroes win. Lily wins. Theo wins. Um, but then this other guy wins. And his name is Jared. He's the one who looks about 35. It's um, <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, so Jared, he has like obviously beaten the guy he's supposed to fight. And the guy is like, I, I surrender, basically, like making those kinds of gestures. And Jared still unleashes his final move on him just to like be a jerk. After that, their master is like, okay, you three are going to be Master Mao. Are like you three are going to be uh, uh, chosen for something special again, still a little vague, and he takes off. But Jared walks over to like some little kid and he's like, Hey, give me a towel, you twerp. And uh, the little kid is just kind of standing there, like stunned. And Jared's like, I'm gonna beat you up, you small child, freaking out. Probably on steroids or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, having a meltdown. Uh, and this other guy comes over and is like, here, take this uh, take this towel. Don't, we don't need any trouble, Jared. That guy's Casey. He seems like 
they want you to like him. <laughs> yeah, they unleashed, like, in those fights, they unleashed, like, some spirit animals, right? Yeah. During the fight. I was comparing it to, like, Beyblades. When the <laughs> when the tops collide, and he's like, Panzer Dragoon! And the dragoon comes out and shit. It felt like that, but with real-life people. It was great. But, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. <laughs> you mentioned that there's like a ninja force in the floor. But I remember like my original when I was watching Power Rangers still before in space, they had the whole like ninja art, right? In the original Mighty Morphin where yes. they're like those two it branched out in two. So like they had the one that was with the series and they had like meet ninja. That was like a whole cool thing. Ninjas were yeah. there. And then but then the movies were like a whole separate thing where like it was like a different lady, and that's how they got their different ninja powers. It was like an alternate universe. I don't remember. As a kid, yeah, yeah, it's not mind. canon. It's not canon. <laughs> and it blew my mind. I'm just like, wow, this is. But I remember watching, like, wow, they've done this before. They've done like the whole ninja thing before. So it, and it would also with the animal thing, it also seemed like something from like a video game Killer Instinct, or like you know, or you know, you call in something primal or innate or like a spirit animal, mm-hmm. I guess, if, if you will. Uh, but it seemed like, yeah, I, I've seen this before, right? So I, I think that was neat. Realistically, I guess around this time, you still have, like, Naruto and Naruto shipping in. So, like, ninjas were still probably a part of the, the vibe. Because what Disney does is basically just use Power Rangers as a sort of cultural signifier, along with using the Sentai footage. I think at this point, we've learned that Disney is more so willing to change up, like, what an entire Sentai is about. Mm-hmm. Just so that way they can make it relevant to whatever is relevant to American pop culture at the time. So you yeah. still had like ninjas being like still a pretty big thing around that era. So I think it more or less just made sense to do that. No, that's true. Yeah, this is also we, we haven't really touched on this yet, but we're back in the era of just having three rangers at the start. And Disney is totally willing to play with this stuff much more freely than Saban. They'll just uh, they'll just switch that up anytime they feel like, and you know that's fine. Um, <laughs> I, their track uh, record for three rangers isn't great. That's the only reason why I was like, mm, this could go either or. Yeah, it's either way. <laughs> Ninja Storm's good. Dino Thunder bad. Um, so, <laughs> so um, Casey replaces Jared when they get to the ceremony later. And they're like, yo, you replaced Jared with a novice. And Master Mao's like, listen, Jared was a dick. We all knew this. <laughs> um, Casey here, he's, he's going to be a great ninja someday. So we're rolling with this. And the other two are like, okay, we guess. Like, he has a spirit um, animal, right? Like, the yeah, main difference between these martial artists and, reg- like, normal martial artists seems to be the fact that they can, like, I don't know where they're pulling it from. I guess the grid. Uh, they can pull like spirit animals from the grid as summons, which is insane to think about. <laughs> but I mean, like that—that's the big thing, right? So it kind of just made it seem like, oh well, he can do it. He might not be good at like the martial arts thing yet, but he can do a summon. So like that—it's <laughs> kind of like. You might be a five-year-old, but you're a five-year-old that can summon fire out of your fingers, right? So, like, (laughs) there's just an innate power level boost, no matter how (laughs) how you think about that. (laughs) I'm just wondering how the other kids must feel. It's got to be like, I trained all this time, all all these years just for this dude. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and that quickly does become a plot because Jared comes storming into the ceremony demanding to know what the heck's up. He's like, I trained for 10 years. This is bullshit. You know, you just replaced me with uh, the CEO's son. <laughs> I'm a wealthy investor. I've been with this company all my life. What's, what's going on? We have to make um, them happy. But before we talk about Jared and uh, Jared's interruption, let's just explain really quick that, you know, Master Mao makes it clear that, hey, uh, the Order of the Claw was established because we have this box with an evil spirit, Dai Shi, in it. We can't let Dai Shi out. We have to protect this one chest that does, isn't booby trapped at all. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> not. <locked>. Um, <laughs> so. The, the three rangers are like, oh, okay, we're going to protect the chest. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, if you haven't seen this yet, or if you have seen it, you probably were thinking to yourself at this point, this is how they get chosen to become Power Rangers. Wrong! We'll get to that later. Um, so, <laughs> so, Jared comes storming in. He's like, hey, I trained to be a ninja. What the heck? And he starts fighting with Master Mao. This leads to the box getting dropped on the floor because Master Mao is just holding it the whole time, won't put it down, very impractical. Men would rather blah blah than uh, go to therapy. Um, so, uh... <laughs> Men would rather run a dojo than put a lock on a box. <laughs> <laughs> That's damn. <laughs> I would rather learn martial arts to like the tenth belt degree, then booby trap this one treasure then chest. Just go to the hardware store, like my wife asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Once Dai Shi is released, um, everything starts going to shit. Basically, Jared runs away, but uh, as we soon discover, he doesn't get very far before uh, Dai Shi gets a hold of him, and also Dai Shi just. Straight up destroys their master, ends him forever. Goodbye. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah. Like he killed a guy. This is like the first 10 minutes of the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like I said, it's like a it's like a Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah. It's you know, all this action is honestly good overall. Like this is this uh, there's a lot of high intensity here, and the only thing that doesn't make sense is like the occasional continuity error weird dialogue choice but other than that this is fine like let's just keep the pace up it starts to get a little weirder around here though unfortunately <laughs> so the students are like we got to go to this pizza restaurant master mouse said we'll find some other master there who can help us they just sort of make a very questionable assumption based on stereotyping <laughs> It's 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 okay though. Be. It's okay though because it was the Asian guy that did it. <laughs> it's true. Like I don't uh, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, let me get all these pajamas. Like they said it twice, and I'm like, that's just like a like this weird holdover. Where I feel like 2008 was like a weird holdover. Where like like I think it's shows true. well yeah. being like in the mid 2000s, yeah. like the, the tens, 2010s. I think get better but i feel like 2008 is still lingering to kind of like those, all those like old stereotypes like can we just like 
lazy racism. I'm just like, this is about like ostensibly Asian culture, but then you're mm-hmm. still like bad mouthing like the uh, uniforms that you're in as pajamas, and they say it twice as just, like it's like a yeah. weird thing. Like, the whole thing is about like you know how great the the order is, but then they also like bad mouth the uniform. It's it just like very like off putting. Like it stands out because it happens twice, and like also this too, right? But then, like that's mm-hmm. the joke. Like oh, it's clearly not him. It's like this wacky pizza guy. So. Yeah, and what's unfortunate about this is, first of all, the Power Rangers has a bad history of lazy racism towards Asian people. It sucks that they're still doing it in 2008, but what sucks even more is that they did way better than this in Ninja Storm. Yes. So, like... They made it to where if you were a martial arts master, you were black. <laughs> you just turned black. That was confusing. What? But, but still, Ninja Storm was better overall in terms of, like, there was an attempt at sensitivity. And, like, Cam never really did, had to, like, do anything insensitive. Yeah. At any point, like, never really had to deliver insensitive dialogue. And now we've, like, backslid. So much. <laughs> it's 1992 again. Like, what the hell? It it's it's Bill Clinton part uh, two. <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever writer that clearly hated Asian people that was on Operation Overdrive is still around. That's oh all yeah, I that was say. terrible. They must be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so they're at the pizza shop. They're trying to figure out who their master is. It's uh, kind of not going well at first, and they meet some wacky characters at the pizza shop. There's the owner, RJ, who is... Shaggy? Yeah, Ultra Instinct Shaggy, basically. Um, <laughs> and then there's Fran, who is another character that they just... I completely forgot about, about this character. A little more I'm going to be honest with you, I completely forgot about in this character. In some way, because the vibe is very much... Like she's awkward because she's neurodivergent. It's not. It's good. not really. Is it played up? I don't even think it was really played up for laughs, though. Was it? I mean, it was kind of played up for like cringe laughs. This is 2008, you know. And it's like, oh, look at Fran. She's she's so weird. Ha ha. Yeah, it's like a yeah. weird. It's a weird holdover from like rom com like stuff. And it's like, why is she weird? Because she's not super great at making friends she likes yeah. reading books these are the, apparently the things that make her weird you and know, she obsesses very... over the pizza shop oh and she really likes italian food oh my god <laughs> yep. like i said it's like it's like this time period like 2008 where i feel like it still has all that still although yeah. it wasn't that long ago yeah a lot of the comedy movies from this time have a lot of this like the butt of the jokes is the gay guy or the neurodivergent person or something like, or just some other lazy thing or, you know, lazy racism towards Asians is also still, I mean, that was in a lot of comedy movies of that era. The Hottie and the Naughty came out this year. Ooh, and I mean, that, what a great that title. That movie is putrid. And that was with Paris Hilton. Amazing. Yeah, that's the era. That's definitely that's- the... Definitely, it definitely felt like she that character came from that sort of era of like quote unquote rom com. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like you'll have reactionaries. They'll be like, "Well, that movie can't be made to you know nowadays." Like you, you know, you terrible SJWs with your agenda. Like all these great classics 
uh, could not be all these you know movies couldn't be made nowadays because of your agenda. But like these are the movies that was made within that time period, right? It's like it's such like a weird uh, tomorrow phrase. I use it all all the time. It's a weird hill to die on, right? Like it's a weird hill to die on defending a lot. No of kidding. Defending uh, 2008 rom coms, very yeah. weird hill. I agree, especially since they're not even good movies. The worst. No. And at literally, what drags this intro down is this kind of garbage. You know, like if you took this stuff out, it would be better for it. And I'm not just saying that because I want to be woke, but because this stuff is very awkward and not good on any level. Like, there's really just nothing good about doing stuff like this in this show especially for kids i don't it, the whole thing just feels really messed up if someone wants to say i'm being too woke fight me because i think that this just plain sucks no matter how you slice it but anyway so we learned that daishi is back and that he's summoning minions which are the rinchi which are hopping vampires essentially yeah i have a feeling that the sentai was uh anti-chinese i'd be willing to to look up the themes of this sentai on this one because i don't think we've had like chinese mytho mythological uh minions before right can't say that we have that i remember there's definitely something interesting going on with the imagery in the sentai it feels like a japan versus china thing might have been going on and we'll have to investigate that yeah for sure <laughs> you definitely get the vibes off the footage yeah so there might be a little bit of interesting politics there. But, you know, on the American side, it's not as noticeable most of the time or like they didn't really like play into that in any way. But it just happens to be that these are the minions. I like the minions overall, but occasionally there are these scenes where the vampires are just performatively hopping up and down waiting to get killed by something. <laughs> it's like Splunky. <laughs> It's like uh, you're playing the old Mario Bros and you got a bunch of enemies between two pipes. You're just going to jump on all their heads and get the one up, you know? Can't help myself. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, the Rinchi go out with this monster called Mantor leading them. Mantor is pretty cool, I thought. They uh, go out to make trouble in the city. You know, normal stuff. And then also we meet Daishi's lieutenant, Neil, who's interestingly enough played by Lily from Mystic Force. That actress made a comeback in a different role. She's actually kind of nailing it in this intro. Like, she seems like a competent and powerful tenant, but also she has that immediate quality of like, I'm sucking up to the more powerful guy now that he's in town. You know, and like maybe she has her motives for this, which we'll see. But there's always stuff like that in the Power Rangers. I would say her appearance is as strong as Trakina, which is a good thing. Yeah. She has a very striking appearance in this one. And like, I almost didn't recognize her at all. Like you said something. I was like, oh, yeah, she's great. Yeah. So the teens basically try to fight, but... It's not going that well for them, but they're like, you know, we have to try to do something to help the city. And of course, who turns out to be the great ninja master they were looking for? It's RJ. It's Ultra Instinct Shaggy. And he's like, stand back, dudes. I totally got this. Cowabunga. And punches the monster and gets them to run away for a little while. And so RJ takes them back to the pizza shop and he's just like, is constantly full of like terrible witticisms 
Like every th- every question he answers, like he thinks he's answering, and that he sounds like Christ I've met this teacher or Confucius before. or something like that. But he just sounds like a dork, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> like a teacher at NYU or something. Yeah, or if he wasn't, if he wasn't this the the master that they're looking for, he would be the type of person that would be able to open up like a pizza restaurant, but like would have like a lot of help from like his parents who are very wealthy or like he has something to fall back on or like this is something that's a very whimsical endeavor let's just make a you know like a a weird rainforest cafe-esque pizza place where it's like i also i feel like this is a a type of genre that happened on this time too where like it's centered around like a pizza place or like a cafe or like something along those lines and it was like Mm -hmm artsy and it has like a very residual 90s feel to it of just like and this guy is very much impediment like he i feel like he's a, a gen xer that type of person like hey man like i don't i be i live life to the beat of my own drum man but i also happen to be like this ninja master too but it's very much all these tropes but i mean that's why they're using him right using all yeah. these familiar tropes to signal to the kids that this is clearly like not something you would expect you, you know, you're not supposed to take them seriously, although we should take them seriously. You know, I think I think it's it's, it's very funny to kind of see all those things fall into him. Yeah, he's he's definitely like, yeah, I'm a Gen Xer. I go to the beat of my own drum. I've never voted in an election. I don't do mutual aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also, like when they get up into his apartment. The vibes up there are just like, my dad gave me $100 million to start a tech company, and this is the break room. Yeah, it's like Oliver Queen from Arrow type shit. Like, <laughs> it's just a huge penthouse fucking suite. And you're like, like, I guess it's kind of alluded to that, like, if you if you become a master, you're like bequeathed just the pimped out like penthouse or something <laughs> like that's the way they kind of make it seem like like oh you too can also have a, a penthouse suite uh if you become a master common common ninja lore that you just didn't yeah, know yeah and we're actually and you can join the the secret assassin's brotherhood or something like that <laughs> like you definitely get one of those vibes from it but i think the problem is is that the shaggy guy just he never overcomes the fact that he doesn't look like a martial arts master. Even after he demonstrates his skill, it's kind of like, dude, you're like an anti-vaxxer massage therapist on the side. You know, like, (laughs) you're preaching about holistics and shit. Like, I don't, it's not something that I, like, vibe with from the get-go. And then... It just turns out that he's like this martial artist. They don't really sell it too well on screen. It's funny at certain moments. Don't get me wrong. And it can be enjoyable. But I think he just never overcomes that in the intro. Yeah. So here's where things really get more peculiar. So while, by the way, I want to make a note of this just because I'm very frustrated with how they treat Fran. So while uh, RJ fights the monsters, Fran like, runs the pizza shop by herself even though she doesn't work there because, like, everybody's, like, trying to check out and leave and there's nobody running the shop. And even at this point, like, RJ's still, like, not that nice to her. Like, you'd really think he'd be more grateful. Anyway, um, RJ takes them up to the apartment. Really didn't have to. (laughs) 
It's another very confusing part. So RJ's like, yeah, I'm your master. I'm in the order of the claw, just like you. Shows him his tattoo. And he's like, you know, I'm going to help you, um, like, guide you to defeat Daishi. But also, uh, I don't really, like, fight that much anymore. So it's really up to you guys to do the actual fighting. But you got a pizza also, shop. I have morphers that will make you Power Rangers. And he's very clear about this, that these are unrelated. These are not because of the Order of the Claw. This is not something Master Mao had planned. This dude bought morphers off the black market, he heavily implies, and just has them to give to these rangers. Very distressing implications. Basically. Yeah. I think to, to just go off of what Graf said, I agree with you on your earlier point about how it just doesn't really kind of over overcome kind of like the premise of it like that's the thing right is like it could work if you had like a, a charming enough actor and actor who kind of like was able to kind of transcend that but it just doesn't seem that way and like this is again like a convenient way to say like, oh remember the power rangers oh we're related to them and like oh yeah do we know who those are of course we are it was like this weird meta reference to, like bring it in right like, oh we're not really morphers but there are because we're morphing grid and like I get how every show has to like reinvent itself, but like, I mean, these glasses look pretty cheap. Like, they look very good. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I mean, everyone has to have like a whole new style, whatever, and what have you. But it just it seems just very underwhelming, and that's what I think. I think that's the whole point about this is like actually the stuff <laughs> at the temple or the training grounds and all of that is more interesting than kind of when everything goes to. Again, like the the setting where it just seems, I don't know, it just seems so forced. <laughs> it seems <laughs> so completely like, who is this dude? What's his deal? I don't know. It just, it doesn't quite, like you said, transcend its built-in limitations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think my, I think my big, I was really warm to this. Uh, and I think the reason why I was warm to it as we were talking is because uh, I was so extremely jaded coming off of Operation Overdrive. Right. <laughs> so that's because thing like too, we had I... morphers where they were like literally the last season morphers. They were like doing uh, they were doing like burns on their uh, arm to, <laughs> yeah. to to morph. Oh, oh man. Yeah, and the morphers looked extremely cheap in that one. I think the I actually thought the shades weren't like that bad. Okay. Uh, in all they're comparison, not the worst morpher ever, but they're not cool. I think the implications of them being black market morphers is definitely like very much there. But also, I think like RJ himself was kind of like, yeah, dog. Like, I kind of I'm like a bit of a hobbyist myself. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's definitely sure. like, yeah, I got some in my free time. I mess with the morphers. I do some martial arts here and there. You so know? they lampshaded a little bit. No, that's true. And I think that's a good point about how you guys have all this context. Like I'm literally just watching this. I'm just like, oh, this is what it is. But you're like, no, don't worry. It gets even worse. Or like other parts where they're, you know, or like <laughs> there are other iterations <laughs> which are not as great. But uh, no, I think what the biases remind me of. You guys remember that show VR Troopers? Like it yes. reminds yeah. me of like VR stuff, but like. They don't do anything with the VR here, but like it reminds me of like the yeah. like the grid. Like they had like a morphing grid there too, and it was three of, and there were three of them, and there were two guys and one girl, and like uh, I think it was like the same the same kind of a thing. Where I, I think it's really interesting, kind of seeing like uh, 
all these callbacks. Yeah, definitely. It's um, 90s multiculturalism all over again. I just oh, have to so say, I, he, RJ literally <laughs> does say, they ask him, where'd you get morphers to make Power Rangers? And he's like, I know a guy that knows a guy. <laughs> there's a place that he hangs out that if you go there on Sundays, sometimes after dark, like, it's very sketchy. And also... He's in the he's in the morpher trade. <laughs> he's in the illegal morpher trade. <laughs> I just can't help but think this is because of the billionaire in Operation Overdrive. This is his irresponsibility with the morphing grid has led to you know that season doesn't exist. I know everybody you're saying that, but that season doesn't exist. <laughs> Treat it as such. So um, everybody has their own. I I would much rather just believe that. Hey, you know what? Because we we've proven even before Operation Overdrive, we've kind of proven that like everybody has their like everybody can figure out a way to access the morphing grid. And I think right. as time goes on, like especially in the internet era, I'm sure like you could just go on a forum and be like, hey, you know, there's actually this thing called Psy. And if you like think it a lot in your head, you could actually influence the external factors in your world, etc. You know, I'm sure there's like forums <laughs> for that. And then like RJ got a hold of that. I was like, hmm. deep web, deep web. Morphing I need to go into the dark web for some morphers. <laughs> so part one ends with Theo and Lily successfully morphing the Power Rangers and fighting the monsters because they come back. But Casey, he can't do it. He's trying, but he can't. Oh no. So then part two begins with Fran being in danger from the Rinshi and finally, like. Watching Fran be about to be eaten by vampires is enough for Casey to figure out how to morph the Rangers. The suits are cool. Do it. I like the suits. I like the suits. The suits are great. Yeah, I mean, like, the morphing sequence itself I thought was really good, too, which is why I didn't mind the shades. The morphing sequence is okay. You don't like it? Mmm. 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 <laughs> I don't mind it. I think it's fine. Um, so uh, I think I think I think it, I think it's surprisingly for me. I don't remember a lot of stuff from 2008, so for me, it kind of like holds up. Or like, oh, it somewhat still holds up. But that's like literally what 12, 13 years ago, which is in, insane to think about. That it's it's been that long. 2008 is not that long ago. I'll have to say, I'll have to say, I really, like, what a formula that is, I mean, I, I, this is where I can kind of stick in my Marxism, right, is uh, everything in life is contradictory, right? There, there's something is known as combined and uneven development. The idea that two things can be true at the same time, things can turn into the opposite for both good and for bad. It's a, it's kind of like a, a core tenet of of understanding or be able to analyzing human society, human development as a, as a historical process, right? Which is what Marxism is to then apply this thing to Power Rangers. I would say it's amazing how, you know, I vaguely know about how like, you know, it was initially an attempt just to kind of repurpose and repackage like what you guys had mentioned, like Sentai footage in Japan. How do you then put, how do you port it over to a different audience? 
how can you tie it together in a way ostensibly to kind of almost double dip and, and to and to, to to repackage something and yet and yet something could still emerge from that that is greater than some of its parts that although it is designed to like sell toys it's designed to sell merchandise yes we understand that but this they, they somehow within those the, those confines of like let's repackage one thing into something else they could still develop like an entire mythos they can enti- develop an entire thing around this and i think that is you see that in uh human society right to de- yeah. you know certain things uh you have to use it for something and human ingenuity will, will make it into something that clearly greater than its parts or more importantly transcends what it was initially designed to do what it was designed to do, it's designed to sell toys it worked on me i love those toys and all those stuff, and, and, and it worked on in terms of building a fandom, right? But are there is there another avenue for you actually surprisingly to tell some deeper stories because of this thing? I think for me, it's just amazing. Where like I always wanted to go back to like he watched the original Sentai shows where this footage came from because like oh yeah, that looks really neat, really cool. Because I remember as a kid realizing, wait a minute, I somehow realized that there are two different shows at a certain point when I was a kid. And I was like, I really want to watch the original shows and see like what that context was and if it could work in the reverse, right? Could it work in the opposite, right? Could you do something like uh, the footage from the Sentai would be from the U.S., but then you pour it into a Japanese context. And it's like the Japanese kids or like the Japanese teenagers, right? They have to, you know, you're adapting a show to fit their needs, right? I suppose, the other way around. Uh, I think it's just very, it's, it's part and parcel of capitalism, right? So, uh, but you kind of see how certain things still develop you know in spite of it you know you know you have to overcome it and by overcoming it you can actually tell some surprisingly interesting interesting stories yeah sorry for that no <laughs> i think it's bit of a rant. there's a lot there's a lot here to unpack <laughs> both just in general but also i think this season really exemplifies that that interesting quality of is the whole greater than the sum of its parts? Is this just a repackaging or is it something more? Honestly, at the end of this intro, I'm still not sure, but we're not quite to the end yet, so let's try to get there really quickly, or at least, you know, somewhat, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, Mantor gets big, and the Rangers are like, uh-oh, what do we do? Mantor's really big. And Master Mao appears in spirit form and kicks Mantor's ass and is like, yo... I'm going to be like Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm always here forever. Goodbye. (laughs) And the teens are like, wait, we need to get big. And Master Mao's like, talk to your new master. I'm on vacation. I'm out of the office until the 22nd. He has like a limited (laughs) amount of time in the the corporeal world. I didn't mind that finish because, like, they've done that a couple of times now where they're just like, we're not going to reveal the Zords in episode two. Come on. We got to rope you in for at least three episodes for the radio. They do sneak the Zords in here by the end, but yeah, they kind of fake you out, like, uh oh, how are the Rangers going to do this? And I don't mind that. It was yeah. honestly like, yeah, it kind of made me think of, like, um, Mystic Force, how Donna just, like, fights, gets big and fights the enemies the first time. This is a testament to how good the action sequences are, by the way, because I actually really enjoy these action sequences. Like Most when the, of the Rangers morph, were solid. Yeah, even the in-person stuff was very good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. It goes to show how much it could carry the the show for sure. <laughs> so uh, the Rangers go back to RJ and they're like, "Hey, we got to get big." And RJ's like, "You're not ready to be big. Sorry. Here's like um, some various weapons for you to train with instead." And they're like, "Okay, I guess." Um, Casey though is not good at being a ninja and keeps hurting himself with the nunchucks. The other two ninjas kind of start getting a little bit impatient with him at first, especially Theo, who is just like, how are we supposed to work with this absolute baby? I can't deal with this. I'll have to say, I enjoy those types of tropes. It's so, I see, like, you see it in so many shows and movies at that time. It's like, this rookie... I can't take this rookie under my. I'm I'm just too serious. I'm I'm just, I'm too I'm too uh, dedicated to my mission and whatever. And so like it's, yeah. it's it's such a familiar like the ultimate trope is like that like the new kid the the rookie like that kind of stuff. But he has it in him, right? And you know the 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 older person, the older more experienced person has to like give him a break or like you know they're too hard on him. It's kind of a uh, it's a testament to the formula in Power Rangers too because they've already done this sort of thing before where the Red Ranger is reluctantly chosen as the Red Ranger and kind of has to prove themselves various degrees that's been successful and to also various degrees that's completely fell flat on its face. Um, it worked okay here though, yeah. Um, and especially, yeah. I think part of what makes it work is you have the whole thing where Casey is good at the pizza. And so part of the deal with RJ being their master is they all need to help work at the pizza shop because RJ uh, needs hand around the pizza shop and that's what he wants out of the deal. I like the fact that it's included in episode two because typically what will happen is, is they'll they'll shoe in an episode at like episode three and then be like, we're humanizing the Red Ranger now. He's going to get all this backstory and it might not backfire this time. You guys might like the character, you know, versus like throwing a Hail Mary for an entire episode. The fact that they were like, okay, like Casey obviously isn't necessarily ready, but there's some more characterization on how the rest of the team is able to bring him into the fold versus like before where it's like, all right, bud, time for you to have your own episode and get oh, the yeah. characterization that you need for us to like you. Yeah, actually, funny you should say that. That happens a lot in New Trek, and I like New Trek a lot. Mm-hmm. But New Trek, especially Discovery, I don't know if you guys watch Star Trek, this is where the, the crossover comes in, especially in season two, they'll do these types of things where like, the bridge crew, right? I mean, you know, outside like the main core three characters, like the random bridge crew people, right? They'll get an episode where they have a little bit more speaking lines, speaking roles, but then like they'll get killed off. And like, it's so, it's so transparent. Like that's what they're trying to do. Like they're building them up just to like kill them off or they're building them up up just to do this type of like, you know, little Hail Mary, like you said, or like Mm -hmm. little bait and switch. And it is, I mean, on the one hand, you're kind of like, yeah, it's good that there's, you know, an episode that focuses on them, but it is very transparent because the best way to do it is if, if you weave it all the way in over time so that you don't, it's not just so transparent. Like, we're going to focus on them for one type of episode. They get lost on like a shuttle craft somewhere, right? So I think same thing uh, with this. Yeah, it definitely has uh, similarities, I think, too. Yeah, I agree. Casey and Theo managed to get along enough for some hardcore training. At first, Theo's very impatient, 
with Casey, and at first Casey's kind of impatient with everything, and it's just like, I don't know if I can handle this. But they end up working it out. Honestly, I love the training montage with the nunchuck because it's actually really well done. Like, they put him in a helmet and everything, like pads, and then it's like he slowly takes off the helmet and everything and, like, gets comfortable. Like, that's how you would actually do it. So I was like, or at least to some extent, and I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. They, they thought about this scene, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I agree. It was effort that we definitely didn't expect. Yeah, it it had the vibe of like like a like a classic kung fu or karate movie kind of training scene. Three uh, ninjas. Yeah, exactly. Yes, just very very loving homage to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Casey like gets it together. He starts doing better. The Rangers have to go out in the city to fight monsters again. And uh, what do you know? Um, Mantor gets big again, and they're like, oh, dang, we trained a lot, and we got better at being rangers, but we still know how to get big, and RJ's like, eh, don't worry, I'm gonna send you the Zords now, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hooks them up with the Jungle Pride Megazord. Honestly, kind of a cool Megazord. Yeah, yeah, it's actually really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know zords i don't know the continuity zords obviously they were always the coolest for me and i haven't seen a zord since i don't know i don't remember what the uh in space zords looked like but i remember uh the ultra zord where like that was like the ultimate like triple combo thing and i'm mm-hmm. like wow they only break they only bring this thing out for like season finales like and i remember as a kid like wow the ultra zord's like 200 bucks like that's like the primo deluxe thing and for me, I'm just like, wow, Zords, definitely, if I was a kid still, or like even now, right? I'm like, yep, this is this is the real sizzle right here. It's like, like that's like, that's what the Star Trek is, right? Star Trek is about the ships, the love of the ships, and all the design they need. I'm, I'm assuming the, the Power Ranger fandom is the same way with Zords. Or I could be wrong, but I feel like that would be like our ship equivalent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta see the zords a lot so you want them to be cool and this is a pretty cool one it's got like a segmented staff and uh also the three basic zords that make it are a tiger a jaguar and a cheetah so that's just already inherently pretty cool like three badass hunting cat zords that look good from the jump and then form a really cool mega zord that was just like all right get weird with it did I not get too. weird with it. The Zord <laughs> did not like make a weird face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I dig the Megazord, and it kind of reminded me of uh, the Red Ranger uh, Megazord in season two. If you remember the Dragon Zord that had like a fighter mode, that one I think like it reminded me of that and we got to see some really good like actual like fighting in the swords versus just like all right here's the beams here's the yeah Yeah. i remember the first one being really clunky like the very first one but that was the one i watched the most of and we're like wow it really just is just kind of like a big block (laughs) just really just standing there it'd still Uh, be like that sometimes but yeah There's a lot more yeah. articulation involved, I guess. Yeah, I can only imagine. Point. Yeah, no, no. I would imagine. I can only imagine the newer, newer 
first stuff. This is 2008, right? I can only imagine whatever iterations are now, right? He, he would obviously have to to develop just like uh, other technology, other techniques. Yeah. So like, is it like Iron Man mecha suits? I don't know, but I mean, I mean, it's just going to be the same old kind of like the ones that you saw originally, where it's just clearly just this one big piece. Yeah it, yeah, it definitely evolves and changes a lot. I, I thought what was really fun about this Zord fight, too, is it was kind of like wrestling. Yeah. Like, they were just, like, picking each other. Like, Mantor and the Zord are, like, picking each other up and stuff and just, like, going for it. Just, like, throwing down. It was very fun. Um, it was whimsical and enjoyable. The only thing that drugged this down was the most horrifying part of this two-parter. Um, Camille coughs up this fly creature that looks like a Jim Davis, like Garfield character or something. Completely unnecessary. So out of the blue and incongruous. This little guy is called Flit. Apparently, like, she's like part lizard or something and has like a, a lizard tongue. Flit, like, lives inside her stomach part time. That's like, really, like, this is like. It's I like a Sentai character almost. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's bad. It, it, it brought me to like Dragon Ball Z, where it's like something, what it like the tournament of power, where like something would happen, and then like you just get like seven different people commentating what just happened, and then it goes back to the action to progress the action a little bit, and then it's commentating again. Yeah. Completely every, unnecessary. Every time you would cut to Flit, you're just like, no, please, God. No, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> so the the end the episode ends with Theo kind of being like, Hey Casey, we made a good team out there. I'm sorry I was hard on you. Maybe you could teach me some stuff about pizza because I'm not actually very good at pizza and you are. So then it's like kind of rolls reverse at the end, which which is actually like good character development, they play it well. That part is good. Fran gets hired by the pizza shop formally. It's also a little weird, but at least that's maybe a step in the right direction. Yeah, and versus also, just unpaid labor. Yeah. <laughs> we find out for sure that Daishi possessed that guy, Jared. And that's who is the villain. It's Jared, the 35-year-old teenager. And that's the end. It just seemed like the guy got like left back a bunch of times. Right? Like also, He's definitely coded that way. <gasps> yeah, like 10 years is a long time. I mean... In another universe, and there's another fandom, like, could be a good Anakin Skywalker. Like, I could see him, like, that guy killing younglings. Like, that's a guy, like, that's the anger. That's the energy I'm looking for. But just, like, also, I'm pretty sure, like, him and RJ, like, I've seen their faces before. Are they in other stuff? Like, I feel like their faces are, like, they've been in other things, like, you know, the, the types of shows like this or what have you. But, like, I mean, that's a classic, that's a classic it's not really a twist because you really see it, but like, you know, for kids, you're like, oh, that's the villain was the guy from the first first episode that, you know, he was scorned. So, I mean, it, all in all, like, I, I like that. I like the ending part of it. I mean, it's a good setup. Like, like I said, that Daishi and all of that, the universe that they set up there, like, that's just um, much more interesting than kind of what you have, unfortunately, with kind of like the pizza shop, but that could change. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and let's get started on the, the rate and review. Uh, I'll start. Let's do it. This one, because I didn't want to like add on to that without, because I knew I was just going to transition to my review. Um, <laughs> this one, Jungle Fury is interesting in that we do know 
what some of the rangers are like because we've played power rangers battle for the grid so we're kind of spoiled a little bit on like the suit designs and what the the rangers look like to a certain extent and we were kind of hyped i'm not gonna lie there's a certain level of expectation that came into this especially if like if it wasn't good if jungle fury's intro was bad i would have been like yo <laughs> we might need to need might need to put some things on pause for a little bit maybe check out some like mexican tokusatsu again or something uh <laughs> but uh like there was a sort of built-in expectation with this intro being good to us because we had a little bit of background knowledge going in and the fact that we came off of a really bad season so i think this is kind of my ratings of this is kind of attributed to the fact that i actually like really enjoyed the combat scenes a lot and like we've been treated to some bad power rangers action especially as of late where it's just like violence for like the sake of violence being shown yeah. Everything was pretty snippy here. And everything was pretty well choreographed. The writing wasn't terrible. It was still pretty good in my eyes. There was a couple of choice decisions that I just did not like get or understand. You'll notice that we didn't talk about the Rangers too much. Like we talked about Casey and Theo quite a bit, but uh what's the yellow ranger's name? Uh Lily. Like we didn't talk about the Rangers too much until like it was plot like absolutely plot relevant to like really mention them by name and it's because for the most part they were just they're all right not too much to say theo kind of got on my nerves a little bit until, <laughs> yeah. until lily like really set him in his place lily was like hey there was a time that you weren't good at martial arts either brother you better check yourself too like i understand not not getting along with the new kid and like having him picked over you know what should who should have like or at least like someone who like was better than Casey. I understand that, but you got to check yourself before you get too toxic about this. And then Theo was like, "You know what? You're right. I was being toxic. I will I will actually do the right thing and and help KCL and we're all in this together, etc., right? Like that was a good moral lesson to have. And that was really well done. Um unfortunately though, like yo Shaggy is kind of cool. Like when you see him fighting, it's kind of cool, but like it kind of felt like a almost like a CW like uh, Oliver Queen, Arrow, Batman esque like Dark Knight esque sort of situation with just like a reluctant looking character. So it kind of just that that was a little bit too unbelievable for me. The Fran stuff, I completely forgot that character existed literally until you recapped. I was like, holy shit, you're right. I forgot about that. There was a moment where they were talking about, I, we mentioned it before, but like Theo thought that an Asian, an older Asian man at the uh, the Italian restaurant was the, uh, the, the martial arts master. Like that stuff was pretty cringe. But then like the Asian man that was sitting down was kind of just like, hey, uh, can I get the check and get the fuck out of here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these people are crazy <laughs> like his response kind of like made up for that moment you know it's true. Uh, it was just pretty funny in that context i didn't um, forget that was funny <laughs> yeah but yeah like it's one of those things where the action sequences and sort of the funnier moments to the show like really amplify just how good power rangers can be 
So much so to an extent where I'd give the first episode like an eight and I'd give the second episode a six purely because the plot sort of like really kind of goes downhill in the second episode at various moments, especially with Fran, especially with the RJ stuff. So it kind of goes down. But the Zord stuff was really cool. The Ranger fights were really cool, too. I enjoy the Ranger outfits. Uh, One last note I'll make I'll make before I pass it off is that i do not like this theme song i think that this is one of the worst theme songs that we've had um maybe the worst no it's like dino thunder bad it's not the worst it's dino thunder bad to me it's a little cringe but it's not as bad it's not even as bad as operation overdrive yeah operation overdrive is really bad well you guys are really telling me to not watch this so Yeah, don't. don't we, watch I gave Operation that, Overdrive for any reason. I think Kennedy gave it a zero and I gave it a negative two. Wow. Uh, wow. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. So, Will, how would you rate these two episodes? So it's weird because, like I said, I, 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 I haven't watched Power Rangers since Power Rangers in Space, which is so long ago. And I remember the last thing I watched before that. I think I watched the Turbo movie in theaters, and like that was it. I'm and everything else is just residual. I think I did too. Remembering Power Rangers from just fondly all the kind of stuff growing up and that kind of thing, and, and have you. So then watching this now, like so many years afterwards, I would say I would probably give it like a six and a half, seven. Like I would watch more. Like I'm intrigued enough to watch more of it, but I don't know if I can appreciate it as much because I feel like there is. I feel like you said, each series is a season. So I feel like uh, there is a lot uh, a lot to unpack there, and there is kind of a lot of context there. But I will continue watching. I think that's definitely good. I think it gets points off for me because I really I, I don't like some of the, 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 the personal interactions. Um, but that's fine. I think that that's something that could kind of... First episode, second episodes, I mean... They do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of setting all that kind of stuff up. So they, they can smooth all those things out later on. I think there is something to be said about uh, uh, Marx's analysis of the show. There is a little couple of nuggets, which I think actually lifts it up in terms of a Marx's analysis, is that uh, there, are in, there, there are instances, indications of some sort of class differentiation, right? So, like, clearly RJ is, like, pretty well off, right? He's, like, petty bourgeois, like... Do all like ninja lords get like you know a nice little stipend? Like where do they get money from, right? Like if you had all these powers, right, they just kind of just are able to kind of have this business and kind of exist without uh, uh, you know relying or or you know exploiting the labor power of brand or what have you. That's interesting, kind of to look at those dynamics. It's also interesting to look at some of the the prejudices that are built in, kind of like with Theo. I mean, the whole Asian culture thing is like a whole whole other story, and kind of like the how heavy that can be sometimes or how kind of distorted it can be but i think it is something to to, to take a look at in terms of uh remember his comment was like i can at least be a manager or something uh respectable or something decent right so he has to learn a lot of humility there's a lot of built-in like class to free and i'm not i'm not like a worker like i'm not i i didn't train to kind of do all this like menial type of stuff right so like that is kind of baked into like a show that's aimed for kids right so like hopefully down the road like you people, you learn kind of hopefully that uh, these class differentiations they exist. Apparently, they still exist in the, in the Power Rangers universe, but also like, yeah, you can be kind of haughty about it or arrogant about it like Theo was. Hopefully, you kind of grow out of that. 
But I mean, that comes with that comes with time, and that comes with you know seeing how the story is developed. But I think overall, I think I would keep watching. So I think that's a as a thumbs up. And that's actually a very interesting analysis of how RJ is clearly sort of in a higher class economically than the Rangers and seems to be exploiting that to some extent. That is actually very interesting to think about. Yeah, I think my rating, I think I'm going to be probably somewhat close to Will's rating here. I felt like part one for me was about a seven and part two was about a six. Um, Part one starts really strong, like really strong, but it just kind of like falters in certain places. As well as, like, everything that's been mentioned. Also, the character of Lily has slightly awkward dialogue. Dang, you're really struggling to handle any character that's not a straight white man. This is, <laughs> this is a bit cringe. So I think that drags it down, especially as the, the episode runs on. And then I think part two is more like a sick. Because uh, although I really like certain elements of it, especially the training sequence with Theo and Casey, which was actually kind of a standout moment. Um, also, Master Mal based? Master <laughs> Mal kind of based? Um, <laughs> but, That's true. Uh, but yeah, I just think that there's still just too much weirdness that kind of drags it down. And Flit especially takes like two or three points off. Yeah, really did not need to happen over a Poggy Zord fight, especially since like we haven't pogged to Zord fights in so long. Yeah. Before we do plugs and stuff, like I think we are still pretty like we're still pretty hyped up to see what the rest of the season has in store, especially since like we know like the Rangers suit designs are cool in the game. So seeing them in the show is going to be really pogged up. So I'm still hopeful for the season being like. I'm going to take a ballpark guess and say it'll be at least as good as Mystic Force. To note, before we before we watch the rest of the season, I will say that uh, this season does get hit with the the writing the writing guild strike, the screenwriting guild strike for a couple episodes. So we're hoping that doesn't drag it down, especially since that happens towards the end. Oh my god, could <laughs> be interesting. We'll see. Um, I don't even know if I want to... You know what? I don't even think I'm necessarily hopeful. I'm just open to what this season has to offer. And honestly, after Operation Overdrive, that is saying something because I hated that so much. So if if they managed to make me interested in watching the show again, they did okay. That said, I'm pretty neutral about it at the moment, and I don't want to get too hyped, really. Like, I'm a little... I don't know if this is gonna be as good as Mystic Force. I'm not. I'm not quite there yet. We'll see. But that's just how I feel right now. We kind of grew our love for Mystic Force since we watched it. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. The Star Trek Communist. What do you got to plug? Where can people find you? What are you doing? Sure. Uh, so you can find me. Thank you for having me. This was a real pleasure, a real treat. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Boomer Niner. The Star Trek Communist you can find me that way as well. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as uh, Proletarian Trek. Uh, and uh, what you see is what you get, right? So uh, I'm trying to, to look at uh, Star Trek in all of its many iterations through um, a class 
lens and, and through a Marxist analysis, because in reality, uh, how could you achieve uh, a one world government that goes into space where everyone's needs are met and it's close scarcity without communism, without going beyond capitalism and, and abolishing it? Uh, I think it lends itself so naturally. Um, and I think there's a lot of other people that felt the same way. And I think I just, I think for me, I was able to just combine my, my absolute love of Star Trek with my absolute love of Marxism together and um, just be able to talk to people about both those things. So I'm also part of an organization called the International Marxist Tendency. In the United States, we have a section called Socialist Revolution. And we're trying to make that future a reality because actually a better world is possible. The working class just needs to understand its own power and to organize itself because uh, I think everyone deep down realizes that uh, there's more to life than just paying bills and dying. And yet it seems like that's all we end up doing, right? So there's got to be a better way to live. And a lot of it has to go with being able to analyze the world as it is and more importantly, what to do about like all of this stuff, right? Everything that's going on. So uh, we can also have fun too while doing it too so uh hit me up on twitter the star trek communist and more than happy to to talk all sorts of stuff with all sorts of fandoms i think this is a, is a really great opportunity you guys are doing and it's really great to see that there's a leftist perspective on so many of these fandoms because that's actually what marxism and socialism and communism is all about it's about uh truly giving us back our lives to actually pursue our creative uh endeavors like what couldn't we do what couldn't we do in terms of our our uh art and creativity if we didn't have to live paycheck to paycheck hands and mouth like what couldn't we do in terms of culture so yeah i agree i mean we we frequently tell ourselves oh we could probably make a a marxist toku one day with as yeah. with as much as we know and stuff and it would it could definitely like inform the audience of like proletarian about class and how it relates to the working man and how it affects us there's that many different ways that that uh, these fandoms can all like come together and be like, hey, you know, like maybe like we could like these media properties and stuff that's kept us entertained and stuff like what if what would it be like if like it was actually like made specifically for the working class and going over working class struggles? What if we made them right? Like what if what if the people that have sustained all these fandoms, right? It's like fan fiction and all the energy that you bring to convention. Uh, we, we bring to conventions and all this type of stuff, the stuff, the artwork that we make, the fan fiction that we write, the stories that we write, oftentimes, right, they end up being like eventually adopted into quote unquote canon, right? But like what if, what if the means of film production, the means of TV production were actually in the hands of the working class and not locked behind like Disney or Saban or like Paramount, like, we could just do it because these are characters that are part of society now, right? Like, imagine the stories we could tell. Where, 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 where couldn't we go, right? As opposed to just like this is like IP that's owned by this company and like it's this way forever, right? Like, no. Like, what if we didn't do that, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the, and those those types of those types of media those types of media properties uh, definitely have an impact on your politics as you view them. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I'm in full agreement. And of course, where can we find you online? Oh, so uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Boomer Niner. Uh, my display name is the Star Trek Communist. And on Instagram, um, I'm Proletarian Trek. You can also check out my organization at Marxist.com and socialrevolution.org. 
Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Will. Thank you for having me, guys. It was a real pleasure. Yeah. Rangers, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to rate our podcast five stars on iTunes and Stitcher. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them. And as always, you can find Kennedy and I on Twitter. I am at Gravcast, and Kennedy is at Kennedy T. Cooper. Stay safe, Rangers, and may the power protect you.